The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, uh, I'm Rabbi Nash Neweis, and this is the sheer entitled Elokai Neshama Upon Waking. Uh, and I got to thank the uh, shout out to the Shahada class of 2019 for um, doing the test run of this in the summer. Uh, this year is available. Um, uh, it was already recorded, but uh, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna try going through it again so we can get it clear. Okay, so uh, the plan for today is as follows: We're gonna first of all, because this is the first feelish year I've given in um, uh, this year. Uh, we're going to recap our method of tefillah uh, analysis slash kavana attainment. Then we're going to briefly go over some halachos of the bracha we're focusing on, which is Elokai Neshama. Then we're going to translate the bracha. And then we're going to raise one major question on Elokai Neshama, which is going to be the thing that the entire shir revolves around. After we do that, we're going to go through uh, and analyze each phrase of Elokai Neshama according to the Abu Dhiram's commentary. And that's going to compound the main question. Then we're going to suggest or propose a grand theory of, of Elokai Neshama. And then the final step is going to be to examine each line of Elokai Neshama in light of the grand theory with a practical aim of, I did not finish that sentence there, <laughs> practical aim of attaining Kavana in, uh, in the Bracha. Okay, so here's our methodology recap. So this is the method that I call the mm method of tefillah analysis because the mnemonic is mm, tefillah is good. And I don't remember last time I gave the YBT here. I think there were five M's and I have since added a sixth M. Okay, so the M's stand for um, the, uh, th these are not six steps. These are, I would call them six avenues to Kavana. Uh, when I analyze a, you know, an aspect of tefillah or one of the brachos, um, I don't necessarily do all of them, but we'll go through all of them and I'll tell you what we're going to do for today. So the first M is milim, uh, words, grammar, and nusach differences. So this is the very, very basic step. Obviously, if you don't translate, if you don't understand the translation of the text, you can't get anywhere. So this is the, sta the stage where we work on the words. Second one is mikra, which is, uh, I went into this in detail last time, but every phrase in our davening was taken uh, either verbatim or was borrowed or based on psukim in Torsh Bichsav. Uh, and there are some mafarshim, some of the commentators, who will attempt to trace back each phrase to its origin point in the Tanakh. So the two that I like to use are the Abu Dhiram and the Rebar Yakar. Both of them will, in their commentaries on tefillah, will take each phrase and then show you which uh, psukim the phrase are based on. And in the uh, in this step of our analysis, what we do is we look at the puzzle in its context and we either examine it to see what the phrase in tefillah means, in other words, pshat, or we try to get what association is supposed to come to mind from the Torah Shabbat um, I think the analogy I gave last time is that if you hear someone quote in a speech, you hear someone quote a, uh, a song lyric or a famous poem, so then you're, you're really hearing it on two levels. You're hearing the way that they're using it, which is what we're calling the Pshat, but then you're also associating to the song or associating to the poem, which is kind of going on in the background. And at the time that Tefillah was written, you know, this was way before Torah Pet was written down. And so the only thing we had in writing really as part of our Torah was the Tanakh and everyone was familiar with Tanakh. So when you encountered a phrase in Tefillah, you would, you would hear it on two levels. You would hear it the way it's being used in Tefillah. You'd also associate to its context in the Tanakh, which presumably you were familiar with. Um, another analogy that uh, is helpful for this is um, in music, you have the melody and the harmony and all good music really has, you know, it's not just uh, a single, you know, voice 
singing or playing the melody, you have an accompaniment which has harmony and counterpoint, which enhances the uh, the melody. So think of it this way, is that the phrases in tefillah are the melody, and then the origin phrases in tanakh is really the harmony and the accompaniment, which is supposed to blend seamlessly with the uh, with the pshat in tefillah. So that's step number two. Step three is the mafarshim. Obviously, we uh, our, our greatest guide to understanding anything is to look at the chachamim of the past who have written on it. And so, um, you know, we uh, we have these. Uh, my favorite tools here are the um, the Taurus Chaim Sitter, which I think came out last year, or maybe um, yeah, I think the beginning of last year, and then the. Uh, which is a an older sitter, which is a compendium of different commentaries. So we have that. Step four is Masora, which is looking at the halacho, looking at the tefilos in light of the uh, the halachos that um, that govern how we implement them. Uh, many times you can get insight into what the tefillah is trying to do by looking at you know the halachic parameters of it, not just the text itself. Step five is mind, which is coming up with your own interpretation. Uh, those who are in my Mishle or Tehillim Shirim know that we always start off with um, trying to understand the text on our own and coming up with our own interpretations before we go to the Mepharshim. And then the last step is um, meaning, which is personal meanings and associations. Uh, let's say, for instance, a certain line in Tefillah reminds you of a particular aspect of your uh, a particular you know memory from your own life or let's say it causes you to associate to um you know to uh some memory or something like that all of these things are tools that can be used and harnessed in your actual davening to focus your mind and to get the most out of your tefillah so this is the overview of the method um again we're not going to dwell on this i just wanted to recap it uh for today here's the procedure that we're going to follow. We're going to start off actually with the Masora, which is looking at the basic halacha about Elokai Neshama. Then we're going to translate the bracha, go to the words. Um, then we're going to look at the Abu Dhirim, who will comment on the each line and also trace back each line to its source in Tanakh. And then the last step we're going to do is uh, gonna, we're going to attempt to... Um, take what we've learned from the Abu Dhiram and then construct our own Kavana walkthrough uh, so that we, the goal of this, remember this whole thing is when we emerge from this year at the end and when we say Alukai Neshama every morning, we can think through ideas that will uh, have an actual impact on our lives, okay? So that's the, uh, that's the end goal. Um, one last reminder in terms of methodology here, uh, the Rambam um, codifies uh, tefillah and brachos in Sefer Ahava. And in his introduction to the Mishnah Torah, he says uh, the theme that ties together all the mitzvahs in Sefer Ahava. He says, I will include in the second book the mitzvahs which are frequent, in which we have been commanded in order to love God and to remember him continually. And then he gives the uh, he, the list here. So one of the purposes of, uh, of tefillah and brachos is to, is to uh, bring us to Ahava, Hashem, to love of God. Another purpose is to remember God constantly. And then in Hilchos Brachos, at the end, when he's classifying the Brachos, he says, um, just as we bless over enjoyment, so too we bless over each and every mitzvah, and only afterwards we do it. And the sages establish many blessings in the manner of praise and thanks, and in the manner of request, in order to remember the Creator continually, even though one did not derive pleasure and did not do a mitzvah. And then he summarizes and says, thus all the blessings are of three types, blessings over enjoyment, blessings over mitzvos, and blessings of awe or fear, Birkos Hayira, uh, in the manner of praise, thanks, and request in order to remember the creator continually and to be in awe slash fear of him. So the reason why I'm bringing this up now is to remind us that 
unlike when you are learning, let's say, uh, Gemara or Torah Shabbat or even Torah Shabbat when your sole goal is to understand um, either on a theoretical or practical level what the text is saying, when we analyze tefillah, it's true we're trying to understand what the text is saying, but the ultimate objective is to is to uncover any ideas that will facilitate these three goals of remembering God constantly, loving God, and fearing God. So for this reason, there's a certain, um, I, I don't know if this is the best word to, to use, but there's a certain like like looseness in uh, in the standards by which we accept an idea as a valid interpretation of tefillah. So for example, you know, again, when you're learning halakha, like you have to have a completely sound, you know, svara and uh, and be able to uh, to defend it with proofs and arguments. In tefillah, you are trying to objectively analyze the text, but your goal really is anything that will enhance your saying of the tefillah or the saying of the brachos. And therefore, even if an idea that we arrive at is not the right answer or the idea, as long as it facilitates these three goals of loving God, fearing God, and remembering God, then I would count it as a valid idea. In that sense, it's kind of like when you're analyzing the Tane mitzvahs, when you're analyzing the purpose of the mitzvah. Um, you know, we can't know for certain that the theories we come up with for purposes of the mitzvahs are correct. But really, any interpretation of the purpose of the mitzvah that enhances our ability to do it and allows us to get perfection from it is a valid interpretation for uh, Tane mitzvahs. So I would say when we're when we're doing this. I, I obviously I can't guarantee that the ideas we're coming up with are the ideas that the Anshikneses Hagadolah had in mind, but anything that really uh, accomplishes these three goals are uh, are valid in my book. Okay, any uh, questions on the method we're going to take? And if not, then we'll dive right into Elokai Neshama. Okay, so let's dive in. Um, whenever I go over this in uh, in high school, whenever we talk about um, Elokai Neshama in uh, you know with high schoolers, I always ask them the trick question, which is according to the result, what's the first word a person says upon waking? Okay, so the the um, the wrong answer, which is the answer that's mostly given, is Mode Ani, right? Is I thank. All right. Um, and the reason why this is uh, the common answer is I think most Jews do say mode ani upon waking up. However, the correct answer according to Chazal is the first word you say, the first words uh, expressed by your lips when you wake up are, uh, the word, first word is Elokai, is my God, okay? Um, and uh, so the question is, well, what about mode ani? So if you look at the actual Gemara, it says, when a person wakes up, he should say, Elokai neshamash nasadabi Torah, and then it goes through the whole thing. So really... Chazal instituted the bracha of Elokai Neshama to be said immediately upon waking. And this is even before you open your eyes, before you get out of bed. As soon as you wake up and are ready to face the day, you say Elokai Neshama. Okay. Now, why don't we say this? Why don't most uh, most Jews say this? So I, I quoted here from the Aruch HaShulchan because it was the most uh, complete uh, summary that I found. He says, in the time of Shas, they would say all of the morning blessings, each one in its place, because they, meaning the people in the time of Shas, were were holy. And here I think Kadoshim does not mean uh, a spiritual level. I think it means clean. Uh, and they were cautious even during their sleep not to let their hands touch any covered places on their bodies. But now it is impossible to make each blessing in its place since our hands are not clean. And even though it is possible to clean them on the wall or on anything else immediately upon arising, nevertheless, because there are many ignoramuses who don't know this and don't know the blessings at all, therefore we are accustomed to arrange them in shul, and they answer amen after them, and they will fulfill their obligations. And we, 
he's talking to the audience of the Aruch HaShulchan, each of us should make these blessings in his house after washing one's hands and even after cleaning our hands when necessary. And it is impossible for us to make each blessing in its place for many reasons. So Aruch HaShulchan is pretty emphatic. He holds that the practice of saying each of the morning brachos in their proper place uh, is no longer practiced. And we recite them as most, most Ashkenazim do, um, either in shul or, or before we go to shul all uh, in a row. Okay. So let's just look at the timeline here because this is going to set us up for, for realizing what, what exactly happens to Chazal's preferred method of Elokai Nashama. So um, the Anshik Nesagdola, the uh, men of the great assembly, uh, established all the brachos and tefillos and they were each of these brachos was established to be said upon doing certain actions. So you say Elokai Nashama as soon as you wake up. You say Matir Asurim once you sit up in bed. You say Pokeach Ivrim once you wipe your eyes. You say Rokah Arzumayim when you put your um, uh, your feet on the ground. You say Zokif Kufim when you stand up and, and so on. So that's how things were practiced from the time that the, the tefillos were instituted, roughly in the 5th century BCE, or maybe 6th century, actually, 5th century, 5th century, uh, until the 9th century CE, which is for approximately 1,400 years, and a pretty good run, okay? Then what happened uh, is that Rav uh, Amram Gaon is the first one uh, who ruled for his community specifically that due to the changes in cleanliness standards, uh, like the Aruch HaShulchan mentioned, and due to the fact that many people didn't know the brachos, he instituted that the brachos or shachar should be said in shul. So that was his ruling in his community. And this psaac was not accepted by all communities, but eventually came to be the norm in the Ashkenazic uh, lands. And then Modeani, so that was this is when Elokai Neshama was, was unseated from its place upon waking, and people would say it either in shul or before they went to shul. And then in the 16th century, late 16th or early 17th century, then the uh, the Kabbalists and Sfas uh, introduced or you know innovated Modeani as a replacement for Elokai Neshama. And today, I, I haven't done a survey, but I assume that most Jews say Modeani upon waking, and then they recite Elokai Neshama later. However, there are still communities, for example, the Yemenites um, and some Spartan who recite Elokai Neshama as it was instituted immediately upon waking. And uh, when I was first, um, when I first came to Yeshiva, and I was still newly uh, Jewish, I don't know what Yeshiva's Minhag is, uh, but when I was first, uh, you know, uh, newly Jew Jewish and figuring out my uh, Minhagim, uh, I asked for Psach, and the Psach I received was that I should try to say all the brachos of Shachar in their proper places, uh, unless I can't, in which case uh, I could default to saying it the way Ashkenazim do. So my practice has been to say Elokai Neshama immediately upon waking. Uh, and uh, as you'll see from this year, uh, I think it's a very, very good practice. Uh, obviously, ask your own posek. Okay, so with Mother this in Sarah? mind, yes. Yeah, just in terms of the placement of Elokai Neshama as the first thing you say, isn't that a Machalukas Rishonim, not mistaken. I thought the Bali was told you say Asher Yatsar before Al Kainashama. So I believe from my research, it, it seems like they that Machalukas arose after the fact. That everyone really held that you say Al Kainashama immediately upon waking. But then once the bracha was moved, then there became a Machalukas about when to say it. And some hold that you say it, you have to say it. Uh, um, uh, after Asher Yatsar, because one of the weird things about Elokai Neshama is it ends with Baruch, but doesn't start with Baruch, which seems to suggest it's a, a bracha hasmucha lachaverta, and therefore should be said after a full bracha like Asher Yatsar. So I, I believe that Machlogus came up only after Rav Amram Gaon. Uh, someone can correct me if, I'm, if they find out that I'm wrong, but um, I'm pretty sure it was unanimous to say the bracha immediately upon waking up until uh, ninth century. Uh, Rabbi Schneewise? Yes. 
What does it mean that there were changes in cleanliness? What does that mean? Yeah, uh, I, that's something I, I don't really uh, <laughs> I don't really know. Um, uh, I, I don't know if that was like literally like you know societal standards in terms of you know people had different uh, you know grooming habits like different bathing habits in the time of Hazal or um, or if there's some halachic reasoning there. Uh, I uh, I really never got that, but it seems it seems to be that like that's the reason that's given by by almost everyone who who uh, supports this change. They say that we don't have, you know, our hands are not clean anymore. Uh, so apparently because all hands were clean, uh, I, I really don't know. Okay, so let's now uh, start analyzing the bracha. Okay, so let, first we'll translate, okay? So um, this is the Nusach Ashkenaz. And I'm gonna, usually I like to, to compare the Nusach Ashkenaz to the Nusach of the Rambam. We're gonna see there's not that many differences and we'll look at the Rambams later on, uh, but I think this is a fairly standard one. So Elokai. My God, Neshama Shnasata Bi Tahorahi, the soul you have given me is pure. Ata Vrasa, Ata Yitzarta, you created it, you formed it, Ata Nafachta Bi, you breathed it into me. The Ata Meshamra, the Kirbi, and you preserve it within me. The Ata Asid Litla Mimeni, and you will one day take it from me. Ulahachzira, Bi La Asid Lavo, and to return to me in the future. Kozman Shanashama Bikirbi, the entire time that the soul is within me. Mode ani lafanacha, or if you're a woman, you say moda ani lafanacha. I gratefully acknowledge before you, uh, Hashem, my God, and the God of my fathers, Ribon Kolhamasim, Master of all actions, Adon Kolhanashamos, Lord of all the souls. Baruchata Hashem, you Hashem are the source of all blessing. Hamachazir Nishamos, Lifgarim Mesim, who returns souls to dead bodies. Pigarim is sometimes translated as corpses, but I thought dead corpses sounds weird because it implies living corpses, which is not a thing. So, dead bodies. Okay. So, this is the translation. And usually, what I do when I analyze Tila is I raise a bunch, you know, I analyze it like when I analyze any other text, is raising a bunch of questions on every, on every, on every phrase, okay? Or, you know, just listing whatever questions I can see. But as I mentioned, we're going to focus on one question, okay? And this is a question that occurred to me when I was reading the Rambam in Hilchus Yesodia Torah Perik Dalit, where he's talking about the soul, okay? And the question is, what does the bracha mean by neshama? Okay, what does the bracha mean by soul, right? Uh, and if you look at the bracha again here, it, it you know, the object that it's talking about is neshama shenasadabi torahi, and then the whole rest of the bracha is talking about that neshama, that you created it, you formed it, you breathed it into me, you're gonna, pre- you preserve it within me, you're gonna take it from me. So, it's a simple question, what is the neshama that it's referring to, okay? Uh, but as we'll see, the answer is not so simple, all right? Um, so uh, before we before we compound the problem, I just wanted to go through a metaphysical disclaimer. Um, uh, Aristotle, as we know, wrote about everything. Okay, and he was not fearful when it came to uh, to trying to understand everything. Okay, so he wrote a book called On the Soul, and in the beginning of the book, he says to attain any assured knowledge about the soul is one of the most difficult things in the world. So when Aristotle says that this is one of the most difficult subjects, uh, you know that it's difficult. All right. So my disclaimer is. Uh, the topic of the soul is very, very difficult, yet we see that Chazal included in our tefillas and brachos. So what we're going to do is, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I would ordinarily hesitate to even like venture into the topic, but apparently Chazal held that like some level of understanding is attainable to the average person who's going to be saying the bracha. And that's what we're going to try to get. And it's possible we're going to make many mistakes in terms of our understanding of the soul over the course of this year. But uh, as long as we're aware of our ignorance and the limitations of our understanding, then I think that that's like, 
maintaining a healthy like intellectual honesty and skepticism is the best we can do. So I'm not a sole uh, expert here, uh, but uh, we're, we're going to try to piece together an understanding. Okay, so let me show you where the question came from, and I'll show you why uh, why this is such a big problem. All right, and these halakhos that I'm going to go over uh, that I'm going to go over now, I just wanted to mention if you're interested in going over these halakhos in depth, um, check out my Rama Bakus Shirim, which are available on. Uh, on YouTube and on my my um, my podcast, uh, where on January seventh and January eleventh we went into these halakhos in depth. We're not going to go into an in depth analysis here. We're just going to uh, take what we need from this. Okay. So the Rambam Hilchos Yisodei Torah Perik Dalid Halacha Zion says, "You can never see material without a form, or form without a material." Rather, it is the human mind that divides the existent body and knows that it is comprised of material and form and knows that there exist bodies whose material is comprised of the four elements and bodies whose materials are elementary and are not comprised of any other elements, and that the forms which lack material are not visible to the eye, but are known by the mind's eye in the same way that we know the Lord of all without the seeing of the eye. Now, this is uh, uh, another huge topic is uh, the Aristotelian ideas of matter and form. We're not gonna go into that. The only reason why we're going to it now is to set us up for the um, for uh, the Ramam's definition of the soul. Um, Basic idea here, just basic idea of matter and form. Uh, I always, when I, hold on a second here, when I uh, go over this in my uh, in, in my class, I always use this example. So you have a, uh, a shoe, right? So uh, Aristotle held that there are four causes for everything. So uh, there's the material cause, the formal cause, the efficient cause, and the final cause. So the material cause is what the thing is made of. So in this case, leather. The uh, The formal cause is what the thing is. So it's not just its shape, it's its definition. It's the thing that which unifies the thing and, and makes the thing what it is. So we don't really have a good word for that. We'll call it its shoeness. Okay. The efficient cause is what takes the matter and transforms it into its form. So in this case, the shoemaker or the, the machine, I don't know if this is made by hand or by shoe, by uh, by person. And then the final cause is the purpose of it is what is it for? So with shoes, it's to provide, um, I guess, uh, 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 comfort, uh, and style for the uh, for the feet, okay, uh, while walking. Um, so, what we are concerned with here is the, the matter and the form. So, the form is what the thing is, and the matter is what the thing is made out of. Okay. So now, on that basis, the Rambam defines what the soul is. So, first, he defines the soul. He says the nephesh, and we have to pay attention to the Hebrew terms here. The nephesh of all flesh is the form that God gave it. That that God gave it. Okay. So. Here, when he says all flesh, he's not talking exclusively about human beings. He's talking about presumably all creatures. So the nephesh of all creatures is the form that God gave it. That God gave it. So, uh, for example, um, if you look at a a dog, okay. So there's the material of the dog: its muscles, its bones, its you know sinews. And then there is the form, the dogness, okay, as Aristotle would say, that which makes this you know genetic material or this substance a dog okay that is the the Rambam's definition of soul when it comes to animals okay but then he says what is the human soul the superior knowledge found in the human nephesh is the form of the man who is perfected in his knowledge okay very confusing line if you want details on that check out the uh, the podcast or the youtube video that i referenced earlier uh but we're gonna we're gonna forge on concerning this form the torah said let us make man in our tzelen like our likeness and now here's where the roman defines what we mean by the human nephesh this means that man should have a form that knows and apprehends immaterial concepts such that it comes to resemble them 
Okay, so in other words, the, the, the nefesh of the human being is the part of us that can grasp abstract ideas, what we call abstract ideas, ideas that are not, um, are not uh, concepts that are not physical. Okay, um, so the part of us that is capable of abstract thought uh, and insight into, into reality through abstract concepts, that is the nefesh. Okay, this pasuk, meaning the pasuk of uh, let us make man in our form, was not said in reference to the visible form of man, namely his mouth, his nose, his cheeks, and the rest of his anatomy, for this is called toar, this is called appearance. So the wrong is trying to dissuade us from this idea that God made man in a physical image, because obviously God doesn't have a physical image. Um, so, uh, nor was this said in reference to the nefesh found in all living things, whereby they eat, drink, reproduce, feel, and muse. Okay, so... Again, going back to this previous halacha, uh, every animal, according to the Ramam, has a nefesh, but that nefesh is really the, um, the I guess, uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, of modern terms here. Like, again, if you think of, uh, of a, a dog, I guess we'll just use the dog as an example, that which makes the dog do dog things, you know, and eat like a dog, act like a dog, you know, uh, procreate like a dog, feel like a dog, have dog-like thoughts. That is the animalistic nephish, but the human nephish, okay, and, and the human nephish is separate from that. He says, rather, it is the dea, the knowledge, which is, which is the form of the nephish, and it is the form of the nephish which the Torah speaks about. Okay, so again, if you want an in-depth analysis of this, check out the Ramam Shir, but for our purposes, human nephish equals the part of us that can think and know through abstract ideas. Okay, then he throws in a, a, a wrench. In many cases, this form is called nefesh or ruach. Therefore, you must be careful with the terminology so as not to make a mistake. Each and every instance of the term should be learned from his context. So the Ramam is, is telling us that he uses the word nefesh in this context to refer to the part of us that can think about abstract ideas. But if you look throughout Tanakh or maybe even elsewhere in the Ramam's writings, then you should know that the terminology is not consistent. Sometimes this nefesh will be called ruach. Sometimes ruach will mean something else. So each term you got to get from its context. And then the Ram throws another curveball here. He says, this form of a human nefesh is not made up of the physical elements such that it will decompose into them, nor does it exist by virtue of the neshama such that it would be dependent upon the neshama as the neshama is dependent upon the physical body. Rather, and now you notice the Ram didn't define neshama here, okay? He's just saying, don't think that the nefesh is, is made up of physical elements and can de decompose, and don't think that the nefesh is, is dependent on the neshama, okay? And he says the neshama is dependent on the body, but he hasn't told us what the neshama is. He says, rather, it, the nefesh, is from Hashem, from heaven. Therefore, when the body's material, which is composed of the physical element, decomposes, and the neshama ceases to exist... For the neshama exists only with the body and is dependent on the body for all of its activities. This form will not be cut off since it is not dependent on the neshama for its activities. Rather, it knows and understands the non-physical concepts and knows the creator of everything and lasts forever and ever. This is what Shlomo HaMelech was referring to when he said the dust will return to the earth where it was and the ruach will return to God who granted it. All right. Now, again, if you're confused, then you're in good company because, in my opinion, these three halakhos we just read are the most confusing halakhos in all of Hilkos uh, Yisodeh Torah. Um, but what do we get from this? So what we get from this is that the nefesh of the human being is the part of the human being that, that can know abstract concepts and ideas, okay? And that the nefesh is not the same as the neshama. The neshama, whatever it is, is 
uh, only exists with the body, okay? And it ceases to exist when the body dies and it is dependent on the body for all of its activities. Um, I don't have a good definition of neshama, but descriptively, let's call it the life force or the vitality because it's something that only exists with the body while it's it's alive. So like the the biological soul, maybe if you want to call it that, okay? So now let's revisit our main question in light of this, okay? And you'll see why this is a a, 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 a question, okay? So what does the Braha of Elokai Neshama mean when it says Neshama? So is it referring to what the Ramam calls the Nefesh, which is the non-physical Tzel Melukin by which we know abstract ideas? Okay, if so, if that's what the Braha is talking about, why is it called Neshama? Or is it referring to what the Ramam calls the Neshama, Okay meaning the life force, vitality, biological uh, neshama, which, which keeps us alive or accompanies us in life, okay? Now, ostensibly, since it uses the word neshama, you would think that it means the neshama, but we're going to see, based on our examination of each and every phrase in uh, Elokai Neshama, which we're about to do, it's not so simple, okay? So, again, we've, we've compounded the problem a little bit, which is what soul are we talking about? And we, we, we have the Ramam's definitions and we also have his warning. He's saying that nefesh is really the proper term uh, for the part of us that thinks, or maybe sometimes ruach. Um, and neshama is referring to something that's somehow dependent on physicality. But the Ramam also says that you have to like learn each thing out from its context, okay? So we are about to go one level deeper, but I guess any questions right now, just for our basic, uh, our basic terminology. Um, when the Ramam was talking about the Nefesh, the animal nefesh and the human nefesh. Is he saying yeah. that humans have like two nefeshes or was he saying that that's not applicable to humans? Yeah. So for, we, we, t- we do talk about this in depth on our January 10th year. Uh, so if you're interested in in depth thing on that, then that's, that's where we discuss it. But basically there is the human being has a nefesh as an animal, meaning cause we all, we do have a body and an animalistic body. And then that nefesh itself has a form which is uh, the telemelochim. Okay, so in other words, unlike let's say a dog, which is only, um, there's its material body and then that body is, um, is um, how, how do I say? <laughs> I have a feeling if we go into this uh, now, it'll take us far afield. Um, uh, I, I listened to the uh, the January 11th one where we talk about that. Uh, it's, it's a good question. I just don't want to go off uh, uh, on a tangent right now. Okay. Yes. In the wording of Elokai Shoma, when it says Shinesata B and yeah. uh, first person, what is the first person there? Is that oh, okay. the body? Okay, so that's going to be another question that's going to come up when we look at these line by line. Okay, I'm glad you're thinking along those lines, though. Okay, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what the Abu Dharam says about that. Okay, are we ready to go on to the next phase? Okay, so here's how we're going to do it. The, uh, the, again, Abu Dharam is um, wrote a commentary on Tefillah, and he he does two things in the commentary. His primary goal is to trace back each phrase to its place in Tanakh. But then he'll also chime in with either um, philosophical or halakhic uh, commentary. Okay, and what I'm going to do just to keep uh, to keep it clear, um, I guess what he's saying and uh, uh, what each of his comments are uh, distinctly, we're going to color code everything. Okay, um, so 
the, the white portions are the parts where he either doesn't comment or he gives a halakhic comment. And then the colored parts are the parts where he, uh, he traces it back to its pasuk, okay? Uh, or gives philosophical commentary. So we're going to look at this line by line. And then with each line from the Abu Dhirim, pretty much, we're going to compound our problem. Okay, so he starts off with a halakhic comment. He says, when you say Elokai Nishama, he says one must pause a little bit between the words Elokai and Nishama in order to make it clear that one is not referring to what came before, Chas V'Shalom, or Chalila V'Chas. Okay, so what does he mean here? So if you were to say the phrase Elokai Nishama Shnasatapi, if you say it without a pause, so then you're saying, my God, the soul, that you, uh, my God, the soul, you have given me, implying that your soul is God. Okay, and that's why he uses the phrase Khalil Abhas. We don't want to imply that the soul is God. So, therefore, you should say it with a pause. Elokai, pause. Neshama Shinasatabi, the soul that you have given me. And in fact, the, the Ramam's Nusach, I, I don't know why Nusach Ashkenaz does this. Ramam's Nusach says, Hanashama Shinasatabi, which I think grammatically makes more sense, the soul you have given me, which makes it even easier to make the, uh, the pause here. Okay, this does not shed any light on our question, uh, but it's the first comment he makes on Elokai Neshama. Okay, now he says like this, Shinasata bi tahorahi. So the soul that you've given me is pure. He says, makum tahor nigzara. It was derived from a pure place. Uh, I'm just going to read this in English. The Hebrew is on the screen. And it says in the first chapter of Brachos, just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is pure, so too the soul is pure. Now this is giving us, uh, this is not being traced back to a it's being traced back to a, um, a midrash, okay? And if you look at the midrash in depth, it says that there are five similarities between the neshama and God, okay? Which sounds a little, uh, you know, the, uh, makes me a little metaphysically squeamish here, okay? Because whenever you talk about similarities with God, then, uh, then you get into dicey territory. Thankfully, uh, Avram ben Rambam explains the entire midrash in his commentary on Bracius. okay? So we're not going to go into his entire explanation, but just this one phrase here. Robert ben Ram says, regarding the statement that the neshama is pure, its meaning is that it is not made of physical matter and that he, right, blessed is he, is above physicality. So whatever this neshama is, the neshama is tahor, which means that it's non-physical, just like God is non-physical. Okay, now. We have this phrase from the Abu Dhiram. Let's go back to our question. What does the bracha mean by neshama? So what does, what neshama, based on what the Abu Dhiram says here, what neshama does it sound like we're talking about? Does it sound like we're talking about the nefesh, the tzalim elokim, or does it sound like we're talking about the neshama, the biological soul or the vitality? What would you say? I would say the first one probably. Yes, I would say the first one also, right? So it sounds like it's not talking about the life force, the Ramam's Nishama, since the life force is physical or joint to physicality, but Tahora means non-physical. So in other words, the Ram says the Nishama exists with the body, is dependent on the body, decomposes with the body or ceases to exist when the body dies. So it sounds like we're not talking about what the Ramam defines as Nishama. Rather, it sounds like we're, we're talking about the part of us that is non-physical, the part of us that exists eternally, the part of us that knows abstract ideas, which is what the Ram will call the nefesh. Okay? So far, so good. Okay, but now let's look at the next line. <laughs> Ata Barasa, you created it. Okay, so Gabudirim says it's based on two psukim. Okay, first one is Kihini Yotzer Haring Ubore Ruach Umagi La'ada Masecho Ose Shahar Efa. Uh, 
For behold, he forms mountains and creates wind. He recounts to a person what, what were his deeds. He turns, he turns dawn into darkness and tramples upon the heights of the earth. Hashem, God of legions, is his name. So that's one possible that this phrase, Atabarasa, is is dependent, is uh, derived from. Second one is a possible that we're much more familiar with. God created the man in his form. In the form of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, now, um, if you, uh, so w- w- what does it sound like, Atabarasa? So now if we add this, Atabarasa, you created it. What does it sound like it's talking about? Sounds like it's talking about the Telemelokim because he literally quotes the Pasuk that talks about God creating the Telemelokim, okay? Now, side note here, why does the Abu Dhirim quote tubes of him, okay? And furthermore, the first Pasuk he quotes doesn't even talk about the soul. In fact, if you look at the context and you look at all the Mufarshim, or at least all the Mufarshim I have access to, when it says Bori Ruach, it means wind, okay? It's not even talking about, it doesn't mean spirit. It's not talking about the soul of man. So the question is, why doesn't he just cut to the to, to the chase and just count, just quote us the second Pasuk? So the answer to that question really is, uh, gives us um, an important methodological principle when you're learning the Abu Dhiram on Tefillah, which is that he will often quote Tupsukim, Sometimes he quotes Tupzukim because he wants to get at two ideas, but sometimes he quotes Tupzukim because the first Pasuk is just the linguistic source, and then the second Pasuk is the idea source. So in 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 this case, Bore Ruach is proving that the word, the verb Bore can be used about something that is a, a word that is, uh, you know, a spirit word like Ruach. In context, it doesn't have anything to do with creating man's soul, but the, ter- the phrase Bore Ruach is a legitimate Tanakh phrase. But then the idea source is really from Gracious 127. Okay, God created man in his form. So you'll see this a lot in the Bodhiram. We're going to see it a little bit more today. So he'll quote a puzzle that is just a linguistic source, and then he'll quote a puzzle that is an idea source. Okay, but what we get from here is the fact that it seems like the Neshama that we're talking about is the Tselemelokim because he traces it back the Abu Dhirim traces back the phrase Atabrasa to the Pasuk about Telemelokim. Okay. Next. Interrupt me if you have any questions, okay? Ata Yatsarta is based on Tupsukim again. So the first one is uh, another, so again, he quotes a, a phrase just to show us um, uh, the linguistic source, which is Yotzer Ruach Adam Bekirbo, who forms the spirit of man within him. But then the idea source is Vayitzer Hashem Elokim Es Ha'adam Apar Min Ha'adama Vayipach Ve'apav Nishmas Chayim Vayhi Ha'adam L'Nefesh Chaya. Okay, now, focus on that second Pasuk, okay? What does it sound like the object of that Pasuk is? Vayitzer Hashem Elokim Es Ha'adam Apar Min Ha'adama physical body the physical body okay so atai tarta implies that we're talking about the body now this is when my eyebrows went what okay like uh, you lost me here we're not even talking about a neshama anymore okay so again we have the phrase tahorahi which compares the neshama to god implying it's non-physical we have atabarasa you created it implying that uh which we associate to God's creation of the Telemelkin, which is non-physical. But then we have Atayitzarta, Afar Min Ha'adama. You created Adam Afar Min Ha'adama. You created man's physical body from the earth. Okay. So that's the source of that. Why are we talking about the body? Okay. Then he goes on, Atanafakhtabishnamar, and he quotes the second half of the puzzle we just did. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath or the soul of life. 
Okay, and man became a living being. Now, based on this pasuk, what um, what soul does it sound like it's talking about? Neshama. So the neshama. Okay, so one possibility certainly is the neshama because it's talking about the thing that made man come alive. Okay, and there are definitely mafarshim who, who who take it that way. Um, Another possibility, which uh, those who are in, uh, shout out to uh, our Unclos, uh, talking Unclos uh, WhatsApp group. If anyone wants, wants to join that, then go ahead and let me know. Uh, anyone know the famous Unclos on Vahiha Adam Ladeh Shaya? Ruach Speaking, uh, speaking spirit, right? So that refers to man's intelligence. Um, the puzzle itself, here's what I'm going to say, is that the puzzle itself is referring to the, the combination of the two, okay? It's, it's definitely talking about God's endowment of man with the soul, which both gave him life and made him a unique speaking spirit, okay? Um, unlike, for example, Vayibra Elohim Es Adam B'Tzalmo just seems to be talking about the Tzalmo Elohim alone, and then Vayitzer Hashem Elohim Es Adam seems to be talking about the body alone. God breathing the soul into man and man becoming a living being sounds like the 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 union or the combination of the two. Okay, that's that's what we're going to say for this. Okay, then we go on. V'Atam Hashem Rat B'Kirbi. Okay, you preserve it within me. This is based on two psukim. Uh, First one is uh, So he guards the souls of his pious ones uh, and saves them from the hands of the wicked. And then Hashem Hashem will guard you from all harm. And then the Abudirim, uh, he will guard your soul. The Abudirim then adds a little explanation. Klomar, meaning to say, He will preserve it so it doesn't depart before his word arrives. Okay, now what soul does it sound like this is talking about? Or just in your own words, what does it sound like the meaning of these two psukhan is? What is it saying that God is going to do? Uh, he's going to keep them alive. Keep you alive, right? So this sounds like it's talking about the neshama, the, the life force, the neshama. Right. That, when, for example, when it says that God protects the souls of His pious ones and saves them from the hands of the wicked, according to the Abudim, it does not mean that God will protect their Tzal Melkim. Uh, it also doesn't mean that God is going to protect their their body. It means God's going to protect their their life. He's going to keep them alive, you know, um, until until God's word uh, dictates that that your soul departs. Okay, so that seems to be talking about the thing that keeps you alive. Okay, the life force. Okay, next. Uh, and this is the meaning of the Ata Asi Lifla Mimenu. I think they're supposed to say Mimeni. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is a typo in the Abudirim or a typo that I made. Pierce Liom Hamisa, meaning on the day of death. Okay, uh, as it is stated, uh, the dust will return to the ground as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Okay, so um, <laughs> that puzzle, we're going to see that puzzle show up again. Here, it sounds like it is, uh, oh, sorry, hold on just one second here. So on the surface, it, 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 it's, it sounds like we're still talking about keeping man alive, but you'll notice that the spirit returning to God must be talking about the Telemelokim. In fact, this is the same puzzle that the Raman quoted when he says that the neshama dies with the body, but the nefesh goes to God because it's eternal. Okay, so now you will take it from me even though that phrase sounds like it's talking about like uh, ending our lives and it is talking about ending our lives, it's talking about the eternality of the soul. And that's talking about the Telemelokim. Okay. 
All right. So then he says, to return it in the future. Uh, this means at the resurrection of the dead. As it is stated, I shall place my spirit in you and, res- and resuscitate you. That's uh, the Nasati uh, and I will settle you upon your land, and you shall know that I, Hashem, have spoken, and I have acted the word of Hashem. Now, what would you say this one's referring to? I think it's not fully clear. I mean, I, I, I think uh, I think there's two possibilities. Sounds like the life force type of. So one is life force. Definitely life force coming back. If this is talking about Tchias Mason, okay. Could it depend on like the different definitions of what Mashiach is going to be? Uh, I don't think so because I think that everyone is going to hold that the phenomenon, uh, the phenomenon of is going to be a literal like resurrection of the dead, even if you hold that there's not going to be other miracles. So the other possibility is Ruhi is the Telmelukin, is the Nefesh, because we know that that, is, first of all, you know, that is described as the Ruach Hashem in many places. Um, and again, it's not just, the significance is not just coming back to life biologically, but the fact that you're going to have your ideas and your, the thinking part of you. Okay, so so it's either the life force, the Ramam's Neshama, or the Telmelukin, the Ramam's Nefesh, uh, or both. Okay, okay, then, okay, then the Abudirim does something which, like, uh, uh, what is he doing? Okay, he quotes a midrash that talks about five names that the uh, that the um, that the soul is called. Now, this is the Abu Dhirim's version of the midrash. Um, I took some liberty and went. It seemed from the edition that he had that it was a uh, a faulty edition uh, uh, of uh, uh, of the Midrash. So I'm going to take the liberty and quote the version that we have in Midrash Rabbah. Okay, so the same Midrash, slightly different words. So this is what the Midrash says. He says It says, there are five names which it is called, which the soul is called. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Yechida, and Chaya. Okay, Nefesh, Zehadam. Okay, Nefesh, this is the blood. Okay, now on the surface that sounds weird, but then you realize the Torah says this a lot. Shnemar says, Ki Adam Hu HaNefesh. Okay, the blood is the nefesh, or um nefesh, I think it says sometimes. Ruach, shiki olav yeredis. Ruach, because it goes up and down. As it is stated, who knows the ruach of man that ascends on high? Neshama, zoha ofia. This is the character. Divriasa, amrin haofisa tava. And the Ubudirim says it is, uh, okay, so what does this mean? So, um, uh, the Obdurim uses an Arabic word, which means, which is equivalent to what we would call the psyche. Okay. So he says, that's, uh, that's the neshama. Okay. The chaya, why do you call it the chaya? He says, because all the limbs are dead, but it is the living thing in the body. Uh, and then yechida is because all the limbs are duplicated, but it is singular in the body. Now, I don't know what all these things mean, but you see one thing here for sure is that the Raman's point that you need to learn out each phrase from its uh, context is, is definitely true because you know, the Torah does use the word nefesh for referring to the blood, okay? But that's clearly different than the way that the Ramam is using the word nefesh, okay? Similarly, uh, neshama here, you know, we've only seen neshama mean the life force, um, but here he's saying it means like your psyche, your character, you know, your uh, your um, your of, ofisa uh, is the, uh, the Aramaic word here. Um, but the question is, why is the Abu Dhiram introducing us in the middle of his commentary to five terms 
four of which are not even used in, in, in the bracha, okay? The only one of these terms that's actually used in the bracha of Elkai Neshama is, is Neshama, okay? So so that's the question, sorry, that's the question here, is why does the Abu discuss four terms which are not used in the bracha? Why does he feel the need to include this in the commentary, okay? It, it's just like, well, what's he doing here, okay? He's not tracing anything back to anything. He's just saying, hey, by the way, guys, there are five different terms of the Neshama that, that, that you call the soul, and four of them are not even discussed here, but you should know. Okay, then he goes on and says, uh, it then goes back and says, in accordance with the theme of the beginning of the bracha, which is Thanksgiving upon waking up, the entire time that my soul is within me, I gratefully acknowledge before you, uh, Hashem my God. And this is in the manner of the dead do not praise God, nor can any who descend in silence, but we will bless God from this time and forever. Hallelujah. Now that is not uh, referring to a soul, so we're not going to ask that question here, but um, of which soul is it talking about? But he's basically saying that the purpose of this phrase is to acknowledge that the only time you can engage in praise of God is while you're alive. Once you're dead, you can no longer praise God. Um, then he, it says, Rebon Kol Masim, Master of All Actions, and he quotes Tupsuk in here. Um, first one is, I am Hashem and there is no other. Other than me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you do not know me, in order that those from east and west would know that there is nothing besides me. I am Hashem and there is no other, who forms light and creates darkness, who makes peace and creates evil. I am Hashem, maker of all of these. Okay, that's plus one. And number two is, I have seen all the actions that are done under the sun, and behold, they are futile and a frustration of spirit. That's from Kohelis. Now, what is the difference between the, uh, the interpreting the phrase in our bracha in light of the first pasuk versus the second pasuk. Uh, in other words, if you just had the first pasuk, what would you say ribon kol hamasim refers to? And if you just had the second pasuk, what would you say that ribon kol hamasim refers to? Let me know if the question is not clear. Sounds like the first one is, um, I guess, just all of reality. <laughs> the, yeah. every, everything that happens. Uh, yeah. The second one is the actions of man. Okay, good. I, I would say, I think you, you're correct. I would say the first one um, uh, slightly differently, which is the first one is talking about God's actions. Second one is talking about man's actions. Okay. Uh, so God's actions, like, like Fishman said, is all of reality. Master of all actions means everything that happens in the universe, God is the master of. And then the second puzzle is talking about um man's actions which means then god is master of man's actions so here apparently that would want us to have both meanings in mind okay and by the way uh the free the word rebone is rabbinic hebrew uh that's why he doesn't quote any pasuk that um uses the phrase rebone because there's no pasuk in Tanakh that says rebone okay um so uh so this is not like the, the category of Abudirim before where we said a linguistic Pasuk and an idea Pasuk uh, does not apply here because there is no linguistic Pasuk or there's no full linguistic Pasuk. These are both idea Pasukim. Okay. Question? Yes. What What does it mean to say that Hashem is master of human actions? Okay, good question. We're going to answer that when we uh, when we uh, explain the whole bracha. Okay. Uh, 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 if I don't answer it by then, then, uh, you, then just remind me. Okay, last uh, last uh, unique phrase in the bracha, or sorry, not yet. Uh, second to last phrase. Adon Kohan Hashemos, Lord of all the souls, 
So that's based on a puzzle in Yeshayahu. Thus said God Hashem, who created the heavens and stretched them forth, who firmed the earth and its produce, who gave a soul to the people on it, no sin neshama la'am alaha, and a spirit to those who walk on it. Okay, so that's that's a phrase um, there. And it's unclear from, from this phrase which neshama is talking about, or which soul is talking about. Okay, um, it's just saying that pe- that God gave a soul to, to people. Okay, but then he points out a halakhic point. He says the masses don't say the phrase Adon Kol Neshamos, but they are wrong since it is necessary to say it in order that the penultimate statement be thematically harmonious with the conclusion of the bracha. Okay, this is a rule we have in tefillah where the second to the last sentence um, of the bracha has to be in line with the conclusion of the bracha. Um, and then he says also Rav Amram, Rav Sadigon, and the Rambam wrote it. Um, now. Abu Dhirim apparently was wrong here. Okay, the Rambam did not write it. If you look at the difference between the Rambam and the Ashkenaz or the, the uh, Abu Dhirim's version, Rambam does not have the phrase Adon Kol Shamos. Rambam ends off, Moda Anila Fenecha Adashem Elokai. He doesn't say Elokai Abosai. Ribon Kol Hamasim, period. Baruch Hashem Hamachzir Neshamos Lifkarim Mesim. Okay, so um, Abu Dhirim held apparently that you had to have Adon Kol Neshamos because Ribon Kol Hamasim would not be in line with the theme of the of the conclusion of the bracha. Rama apparently held that Ribon Kol Hamasim would be in line with the conclusion of the bracha. If we can explain that, great, but uh, I uh, I don't have an explanation for that currently. And then the final phrase is Baruch Hashem Hamachzir Neshamos, who returns souls. Now, okay, before we look at this, okay, hold on a second. If I just ask you, based on on either your own preconceived notions uh, or based on what we've seen so far, what would you say is the shot of God returns souls to dead bodies? I would assume it's referring to the Nefesh, the Rambam's version of Nefesh. Okay, it could be referring to the Rambam's version of Nefesh. So what, what, practically speaking, what is it talking about when it says returning souls to dead bodies? Tchiyas Mesim, right? I always thought that this was talking about Tchiyas Mesim, okay? Sleeping. Abudir says no, okay? He says, uh, because in the morning he returns our souls to us. As Sleeping, say, yeah. Uh, yeah, Howie? Sleeping is a uh, one sixty of death. So look what he quotes. He's uh, he's uh, you're, you're right there with him, Howie. So he says, um, because in the morning he returns our souls to us, as it was stated above. Lifugarin uh, Mesim is based on an angel of Hashem went out and struck down one hundred and eighty-five thousand of the Assyrian camp. Um, hold on just a second here. I'm just going to mute you again. All right. Um, uh, the rest arose in the morning, and behold, they were they were all dead bodies. Okay. Um, so he's getting the phrase Pigarin Mesim from that. From that, I mean, there they weren't asleep; they were literally dead. Uh, but he says because sleep is comparable to death. Likewise, the puzzle refers to sleep as death, as it is stated. For now, I would be lying calmly; I would be asleep, then I would be at rest. And Eov there is talking about death. That's in the the parak where he is wishing to die or wishing to never be born. So he says, likewise, our rabbi said, sleep is one sixtieth of death. So here, returning <laughs> souls to dead bodies is not talking about tchiasamation. Okay, it's not talking about the restoration of the nefesh or the neshama um, when uh, uh, at, at the time of Mashiach. So, what soul is it talking about here? And this is a trick question. I mean, it seems to more be referring to like some type of consciousness. Um, yes, like you to think exactly right. So, Hamazir neshamos seems to be consciousness. Okay, uh, he's talking about restoring consciousness to the body. Okay, 
So now can you see why this single problem that we raised is so perplexing, <laughs> okay? So we start off with an innocent question, which is what does the bracha mean by neshama? And remember, the bracha is only talking about one neshama. It says, the neshama you gave me is pure. You created it, you formed it, you breathed it into me, and you will preserve it with me, and you're going to take it from me, and you're going to restore it to me. It's talking about one thing, and yet each line, if we look at it in terms of the Abu Dhirim's commentary and and and, and uh an origin pasuk sounds like it's talking about a different soul okay or at least it's not consistently talking about the same the same soul okay and we've got neshama we've got Selim we've got the body we've got some sort of union of the two we've got like things that are referring to both of them and we have consciousness uh rabbi i'm confused why we think a tie refers to the body couldn't it just be referring to the rambam's version of nefesh since he said uh, that the nefesh is dependent on the body I think not because in the Pasuk it says and that's talking about man's uh, um, uh, uh, and it says that it sounds like it's talking okay you could say that you could say that yeah you could say that if you wanted to I, I said it the reason well okay no you can't say that <laughs> why <laughs> because it says that he created it out of dust and I don't think that the neshama that the Ram is talking about is, is, is made of dust. It's dependent on dust, or it's dependent on the body, but it's not made out of dust. That's why. Okay, so are we sufficiently, uh, do, we, are, do we have the problem clear? And are we sufficiently confused? Confused, yes. Okay, uh, good. Definitely. <laughs> okay, good. So here we're going to now uh, propose a grand theory, okay? Uh, and try to answer the questions on this basis and explain the bracha, all right? So the grand theory uh, has to do, first of all, with what is the function of Elokai Neshama, okay? Um, and by function, I mean, you know, when Chazal instituted it, um, they were trying to direct our minds along a certain path of thinking, okay? And what path of thinking was that? So I would say that the function of Elokai Neshama is to define your soul, or better phrase, is to define yourself and its relationship to Hashem in order to frame the upcoming day of waking life, okay? And on that basis, and here's here's the answer to the question, and hopefully I'll convince you of it when we walk through it, is Neshama in this context is the experiential soul or the self, which includes all of the multifaceted elements mentioned before. Now, I, I want to explain what I mean by experiential soul, okay? Because when, let me just see if I included this phrase. Yeah, okay. When um, uh, these, okay, let, let, let me, let me uh, explain it with the, the Ramam here. I, I, I debate whether to include this slide again. The Ramam mentioned that there's a, there's form and, and, and matter. Everything that you encounter in the world has form and matter. The thing is, is that form and matter are not actually existing things. It's an analytical category. The mind divides the, the thing into form and matter, okay? So too, when we talk about these different souls, I mean, these are, uh, I mean, to, to a certain extent, uh, these are different um, uh, classifications of, of the phenomena that occur in us, okay? But, uh, okay, I, I, I'm making this more complicated than it needs to be. Let me just state, state it clearly here. These distinctions that we made are real distinctions. However, you experience it as one thing, okay? There is me, there is who I am, there is, is, is my soul. You don't, for example, experience your being alive as different than your 
thinking and different than your, uh, you know, your, your thinking self and your, um, your consciousness, you experience everything as, as me. And that's really what the Elokhine Shama, that's what the object, the grammatical object is in Elokhine Shama. It's, it's talking about who is the me that is, is, is waking up and it's walking us through these different elements in order to, to, uh, to, articulate and clarify what the me is okay now that's stated in abstract terms but i want to what i want to do now is is walk you through the bracha in line in in, in light of that and uh and, and we'll see what it looks like to say the bracha with this understanding okay um and hopefully what i just said will be clear then okay so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna do this the same way we did we did this in our rufaino shir we're gonna take each phrase and then um uh we're gonna explain what its function is and this is where i want to say that that this is somewhat subjective. These are things that I think about in light of the Abu Dhiram. I'm not saying that this is the shot that the Anshayi Abdullah had in mind. These are ideas that I think of when I say Elokai Nishama in light of what we learned from the Abu Dhiram. Okay. So when you say Elokai, okay, the function of saying Elokai upon waking uh, is, uh, is, is, um, is there's multiple functions. Okay. First thing you think of Okay, first thing when you say, and remember, you have to put yourself, you know, in the mentality. I know we all wake up in different ways. Some people wake up um, with a lot of, uh, of consciousness, and some people take a long time to wake up. In fact, there's a, um, who was it? The, I think it was the Shivle Haleket, or it was his brother, maybe, who who said that Hazal actually made Elokai Neshama into a long bracha because it takes you a while to wake up. And in, if they made the bracha too short, you would have zero kavana. So they actually made the bracha longer so that you can have time to wake up as you're saying it. Okay. So think about what impact you have if you if this is the first word on your lips when you wake up. So first thing it does is it pulls you out of the egocentric state of sleep. Now, I call it an egocentric state because when you first wake up, you basically want to completely deny reality and you don't want to acknowledge that there exists anything else except for me and my needs, okay? In fact, sleep is an inherently egocentric state because you are shutting out all external stimuli. But I'm saying that that emotionally and psychologically when you wake up, you are just locked into like, there's just me being asleep. So saying elokai, my God, I mean, saying any bracha, if you said modi'ani, pulls you out of that state of sleep. That's the most basic function. Okay. And you're acknowledging a reality outside of yourself and that's God. Okay. Second function is you're acknowledging Hashem as the true reality. Okay. Uh, again, you look, you have to look at the process of waking up as if it's a battle between you and your psyche wanting to exert egocentric dominance over everything versus your cell and Malukim coming online and recognizing truths about the nature of your existence and the day that you're going to be facing. So you, you say God because God is the only true reality. Okay. That's another thing you have in mind. Now, Elokai. Okay. Why this name of God? Why not UK above? Okay. So again, I, I just, I want to stress here. I'm not saying that this is the reasons that the entrepreneur instead of this, I'm saying these are ideas that I think of. Okay. When I wake up. So um, Elokai, my God, when you say my and you put it in the possessive, is you're acknowledging that God relates to me, okay? Um, and that's what the rest of the bracha is going to spell out. Okay, why Elokai? So Elo, uh, any name of God, Eloka, Elokai, Elokim, um, has a denotation and a connotation. The denotation uh, of Kel is power or force. 
Um, like, for example, uh, you know, uh, Rabbi Chaita said many times that we call Hashem Elokim, which means literally means powers or forces, because all the forces and powers in the universe uh, stem from God and are, are and only operate because of God. So when you say my God, or you're really saying my power or my force, and what you're doing is you're acknowledging that God is the only true power and force in the universe. And by saying my my power, you're, you're acknowledging Hashem as the source of your of your power and ability and capacities. And when you say, um, and so that's the denotation of Eloha. Uh, uh, and the connotation, as we know, is Yudke Valki is Midas Arachamim, is mercy. And then Elohim or Eloka or Kel is Midas Hadin, is strict justice. And that is an entirely pr- appropriate phrase to uh, say in this bracha, because as we're going to see, one of the underlying themes of the bracha is focusing on your own dependent existence and your own mortality. Um, and the fact that, that you are being preserved only so far as God uh, allows you to be preserved, which I guess you could argue is mercy as well, but um, you're, you're focusing on something that is perceived by the human being as harsh, which is death and contingent existence. Um, and that's what the Elokai is, is, is acknowledging that the Midasadin relates to me particularly. And all of these things, uh, and, and this is another thing that, that uh, we don't have time to go into into this year, but this is something I've given a lot of sharing on, Rabbi Chay has given a lot of sharing on, is the God fantasy, is that, you know, deep down, each person, you know, um, feels like or wants to be a God. I mean, this is what the Nachash appealed to with Chava, is Vizim Keluhim Yodei Tovara, you can be like gods, knowers of good and evil. Um, you know, um, and I know not everyone t- takes that as gods, but, you know, if you look at Rashi on that, then Rashi says, um, you know, like, you'll be like a creator, you know, and God is really just keeping this fruit from you because he's uh, jealous of you. If you look at all the re- the greatest Rashaim throughout uh, Tanakh, you know, like Paro and Haman and Nebuchadnezzar, all of them made themselves into gods, you know. So there's this underlying fantasy that the human psyche has of I am the great, mighty and powerful one. I'm Hagadol Hagibor Nora. You know, I'm the one who reality revolves around. So by waking up and then saying Elokai, my God, and acknowledging Hashem and pulling yourself out of this godlike egocentric state of sleep where you are the only reality. And if you don't want to go to school, then school just doesn't exist. And if you don't want to go to work, work doesn't exist. This first word is designed to break that egocentric fantasy and pull you out of it into then recognizing the true reality, which is going to set up the rest of the, of the bracha. Okay. So I, again, I did not get this from the Abu Dhirim because you notice Abu Dhirim did not comment on Elokai. He just said, don't say Elokai and Neshama together. Everything else that we're going to go through based on this is going to be based on the Abu Dhirim, though. Um, any questions on the, on this first step so far? Yeah, Rabbi Shneelan. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you've already explained this, but um, why why are you why is this specifically um, as soon as you wake up? I mean, a lot of these ideas you could have just you know, explain it like tefillah and davening. Yeah. So the, the, I guess I'm answering that on two levels. The answer, the level I'm answering, the, the specific level is that you are, okay. I think the main answer is this is when you start your waking life and this is supposed to frame, and this is when you become self-aware in, the, in each morning. So what this is doing is it is calibrating your self-awareness mm-hmm to be in line with reality, to be in line with who God is and what you are. So the appropriate time to do it is immediately upon becoming self-aware is you define the self and its relationship to God. The second thing is the fact that it's helping you transition from sleeping life to waking life, 
sleeping life being an egocentric world dominated by imagination where you're outside of reality. And it's, it's, it, this is the first step into the world of focusing on, on true reality as it's El So in other words, it's both because of the transition from sleep to wake and also because of setting up for your day and for a correct self-concept vis-a-vis God. So it's at yeah. the beginning of the day. Yeah. Like I, I guess I, I your first answer, um, is, uh, it kind of speaks to me a little bit more. Um, maybe I'm not understanding your second answer. It's, it sounds like like half of your second answer is related to your first one, but how like you, the first thing you should do is recognizing God. And yeah, then you're yep. saying there's like a transition into, you know, just getting out of, just so, like waking so yeah, up. Let, let, me, let me do this, Ariel. I, I have a feeling that when we get all the pieces and then I'm going to put it together at the end, then I think the answer will be clear. And if it's okay. not clear at that point, when we, we're, the final thing we're going to do is summarize everything. So if it's not clear then, then just ask me again and I'll, I'll explain it in the terms that we assemble as we go. Yep. yep. Okay. Uh, yes. Could you explain um, point E, how that yeah. follows from here? Yeah, meaning that when you wake up, uh, then you, okay, waking life is the, is the sphere of activity, okay, of human activity, um, and you are going to wake up and you're going to do things, and the, there's always a threat of that my might and the, my power and the might of my own hand made me this wealth and the success. So there's this, this latent human nature tendency to ascribe power and ability to yourself. But by saying God is my power, that's Elokai, God is my power, you're acknowledging that any power and ability that you have comes from God. Just like when you say Elohim, you refer to God as powers, you're acknowledging that all powers and forces in the universe really are only God's power, you know, um, and uh, it's just here you're applying it to yourself. You're saying that, that God is the source of my power. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank okay. you. Okay, let's go on. The soul you've given me is pure. So which soul is this talking about? This is talking about the Telemelochim or the Ramam's Nefesh. And what are you doing when you say that God gave me the, 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 the Neshama? Okay. So number one, you're defining your essence. Okay. When you say the soul that God gave me is pure, you are reiterating the definition that the essence of who I am is I am a Telemelochim. I am a non-physical intellect. I am a thinking being that can perceive abstract ideas and that can seek truth for its own sake. Okay. Um, and again, you have to realize that like, <laughs> you know, we know these ideas, but the function of the brokos is to remind us of these ideas when we need reminders. And I, I, I don't know about you, when I first wake up, I am not thinking of myself as a telemelochim. <laughs> okay. Um, and so this is really like, it's reminding you of what you are. Second thing is, it is also combating the competing definition, which is I am not my body. Okay. That I am not essentially an animalistic, uh, physical, corporeal existence. Uh, the, the, the me is the, is, is, is the, uh, is the part of me that's Tahora. Okay. That's, uh, that's non-physical. And, um, what was I going to say here is that when you first wake up again, it's a very, very corporeal state. You are literally like your mind is sluggish with corporeality because you're emerging from this state where your mind was not active, where your cell was not active. When you refer to it as a nasha, as a as a, a matana, you say neshama shenasata be. You're acknowledging that your neshama is not intrinsically yours, but is a matana from Hashem. Okay, you're saying that I was given 
acetylmelochine. Okay, it's not something I have an intrinsic claim to. It's not something that has an intrinsic existence. It was given to me. Okay, and it was given to me from Hashem, which sets you up again for that gratitude. It also combats the God fantasy through this because it's making you. It's it's reinforcing this idea that. God is the only one who is an independent existence, but my existence depends on him. I had to be given my telemochine. God did not have to be given his existence. Okay. He, his existence is intrinsic. Um, and lastly, it's reminding us of the, uh, the sole basis of our relationship to Hashem is the fact that we have a telemochine is that's the midrash that the Abu Dhirim quoted with the fact that the neshama is Tahor and the, um, and God is Tahor. And I actually, I really should have quoted the entire Midrash there. The, the Midrash says that the, the, the Neshama um, is similar to God in five respects. And then it concludes by saying, it's all a drush on Barchi Nafshi, which is a phrase that's repeated five times in one of the Prophet of Tillman. It says, let the soul who has these five qualities praise the one who has these five qualities. And the idea of the Midrash um, is that that it's saying that the only basis on which you relate to God is your, is your Telemelochim. So, so again, you're, you, you, in order to get maximum benefit out of this, you really have to put yourself in that mindset. So you, you're, you're in bed, you wake up and you say, Elokai. Okay. That's when you have all these ideas from, from before. Then you say, Neshamash And you think about this. I am Etzel Melokim. I am not my body. My soul is not mine. It was a Nasatabi. It was given to me. God is the only one who's a, a, an independent existence. I'm a, a dependent existence. And my only basis of relating to him is the fact that I have a soul, which is non-physical in the way that he is. Okay. Any questions on this? Uh, I have a question about the first thing. Um, mm-hmm. So when you say that um, you're defining yourself as yeah. uh, non-physical intellect, I'm not seeing that so much in the words, I guess. Is that just because yeah. you're referring? And now you're like bringing up this topic. Yeah. You know so in other words, it's it's because going with the Abu Dhiram's interpretation of Tahorahi means the Telemilkim, and you're supposed to think of the puzzle of, of God creating them, the Telemilkim. That's where I'm getting all this from. In other words, when you say, God, you gave me the Nashama, according to the Abu Dhiram, the Nashama is the Telemilkim. And I'm asking when I say the function here, how does saying that God gave me my, my Telemilkim? What effect does that have on me? And that's what I'm trying to outline here. I see. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I, this is, I, 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 uh, I, I just want to make it clear in case it's not so clear. This is my method of attaining Kavana in Tefillah and Brachos is I try to understand from the Mepharshim and then I plug in my own, like in light of this idea, how does how can this perfect me? How can this bring me to Ava Hashem, Yer Hashem, and Zakir Hashem? So when I'm listing these functions, these are my own my own like you know um, reminders that I am you know uh, I, that I'm basing on the ideas from the Abu Dhirim, but I'm not claiming that the Abu Dhirim is saying that that this is what that this is what's supposed to happen. These are my own applications. I hope that's clear. Yes. How do we reconcile the idea that we're defining the, the true person? You know, I, I am not physical intact. I'm not my body with referring to, with basically all the other points. I'm referring oh, yeah. to so that, that's what we're gonna get that, to. Okay. something that, that was given to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, if your question is, okay, you know, let, let me, uh, let me, let's hold off on that for one second. Okay, also till we get to the end. I think we still need some more, uh, more points here to see the, the big can picture. I, can I ask a question? Yes. Yeah. Um, it seems like we're, 
saying that, or we're basing this explanation off of the fact that when you wake up, you're in your most corporeal state or an yeah. extremely corporeal state. But it seems like when you're sleeping, your experience is entirely intellectual because you, you only dream. You don't move or use your body at all. Right. So the Rambam would say that dreams do not come from the Tselmelokim. He would say the dreams come from the uh, the um, the Koach HaDimayon or the Nefesh HaDimayon HaMadameh, the, uh, the imaginative soul, which is something that is shared with animals. Um, and the only types of dreams... Uh, that gets into another topic also i guess like you know prophetic dreams do have involved the telemelkim that's one of the things that makes them different and there is a minimal amount of um of of telemelkim influence that can that can come in dreams but it's essentially an animalistic experience because it's the it comes from the imagination which is part of the animalistic soul got it yeah okay Ata Brasa, you created it. Okay, so that also is referring to the Telmelkim. So what are the functions of saying Ata Brasa, you created it? So it's, again, it's further underscoring the fact that your soul was created, uh, again, according to most, Bara means uh, Yeshmi'ayin, your soul was created, or if not your soul, I mean, when, when, it, when it uses the term Vayibra Alukim in the Pasuk, it's talking about man's soul, that it was created Yeshmi'ayin, okay? Uh, and and what this does is it further underscores your identity as a contingent existence and that Hashem is an independent existence. Okay, so in other words, what we're doing here is, okay, let me, let me back up for one second. Um, the soul you've given me is pure. So that's defining, that, that's not talking about God creating the soul. That's just talking about what the soul is. Now what's going to go into is these next three phrases are talking about what it means for God to give you the soul. So number one is he created the soul. Okay, the soul is a creation. And if you take the meaning of bara as yeshme ayin, then it means uh, he created out of nothing. Okay, and again, that underscores the fact that you were dependent on God. Atayetsarta is talking about the physical body. So why are we talking about the physical body here? Uh, isn't the subject, uh, isn't that what another bracha is about? Really, the bracha of Asher Yatsar is about the physical body. So I think the answer is like this, is the Tselem Elohim that human beings have could not be placed in any body any body, not anybody. It couldn't be placed in any body. It needed a body specifically suited for it, okay? Um, especially the human brain. Um, it, uh, and what I mean by that is that, you know, if you, um, uh, you, you couldn't simply take, for example, a, uh, a dog and, and endow the dog with a telemelochine. The dog's brain just is not capable of functioning uh, of supporting that kind of thought. And I'm not saying that the brain is the telemelochim, okay? Just, just to be clear here, is that the brain, the, the telemelochim is non-physical, but it, fun, it no one can deny that the the, the, the functions through the brain. And the proof of that is uh, if, if, I, if I hit you on the head and knock you out, your telemelochim stops functioning. Or if you have a degenerative brain disease, it, it inhibits the, the functioning of your telemelochim. Uh, one of the things I like to quote is Mortimer Adler says, uh, when he's talking about the intellect and how the intellect is non-physical, when he's trying to talk about the relationship between the intellect and the brain, he says, we don't think with our, in, our uh, we don't think with our brain, but we can't think without it. Okay. Meaning we think with our intellect, but the intellect is dependent on the brain. Okay. Um, so, so that's what I mean by, by the, the physical part of you also needed to be created in a certain way in order to be able to house and you could even go further and say that the entire body needed to be structured in a certain way in order to um, have a telemelochim. I know Rabbi Chaita has addressed this on several shirim. Uh, I believe 
he talks about this in uh, I, th- I I checked it, I, uh, I I didn't listen to the shir before this, but I think it's C one oh seven and C one oh eight the 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 snake or the nachash, and I believe in some of the shirim he gave on the nachash and Gan Eden in two thousand two, where he talks about how the um, by making the the whatever type of creature the nachash was, he's there. He's taking the approach that the nachash is uh, is a physical being, and he says by making the nachash. Uh, by taking away its ability to walk, then it prevented it from from uh, from having intellect. Again, he talks about there about how man's upright posture and uh, and, and physical design is necessary in order to be able to have a telemelkim. That's beyond my pay grade. I don't really know. He, he went into depth on those ideas. But the, the point of talking about this, though, is why are we even talking about this? Is to acknowledge, number one, that my body as a human being is not in the same category as other animal bodies, but it was fashioned to be a a clea, a vessel for my non-physical essence as as a telemelochim. So I am not my body, but my body was was specifically designed to allow my telemelochim to function. And this is further underscoring my contingent existence, acknowledging that God created my body. I hear an unmute. I don't know if that's because there's a question or if someone's just unmuted. Okay, I'll, I'll just treat it as that. Okay, uh, next point is you breathed it into me. So what soul is that? So that's either talking about the, the neshama of the, the life force or it's talking about the union of the body and the telemelochim. I went with this interpretation because again, the, the, the pasuk is describing God creating the body as one step and then breathing into it the speaking spirit and making man one creature. So this is acknowledging the quote unquote miraculous, I'm not saying it's an actual miracle, but the miraculous anomaly of being a human, we are the only one of Hashem's creations, which is a hybrid of a physical body and a non-physical soul. Um, I guess back in the olden days, uh, in the Roman time, they also thought that the, uh, the the planets or the celestial spheres had intellects and physicality, but now we know that those don't exist. And it's only, man is the only creature we know of that has a cell melochim and a body. And that connection is very, very unique and mysterious, and we don't really understand it. And we're acknowledging that uniqueness here. Um, furthermore, it is acknowledging the relationship between the telemelochim and the body, that the real me is my telemelochim, but at the same time, the body is something that I that, that relates to me, it is mine, and there is some sort of union where my telemelochim is dependent on the body, and we're acknowledging that that union was produced by Hashem, and we're further underscoring our contingent, contingent existence by saying that it came from God and that it's, it's not intrinsic. So this, this is the first half of Elokai Neshama. So just to summarize here, you wake up by saying Elokai, my God, and that is focusing on this, the true reality and breaking you out of your egocentric sleep and, and uh, in a very abstract way. Then you say, you know, I'm going to, you, you uh, Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, unmute yourself. You have, you have a question. Um, uh, so you, uh, you, you start with Elokai, then you say, the soul that you gave me, that's introducing the theme of you as a contingent existence and you as a telemelochim. And then you 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 elaborate on what that means, that God created your telemelochim, God created your unique body, and he created the ability of that body and that telemelochim to relate to each other and for you to be this one organism. Okay. Onward? Onward. Okay. 
you preserve it within me. So what is this referring to? So this we said is talking about the life force, the, the fact that you are biologically alive. So what's the function of this? So this is acknowledging your contingent existence from the other side, okay? Up until now, we acknowledge that you were created and you're a dependent existence in that sense. Now you're acknowledging that you will die, okay? And as those who have been listening to the Stoic Jew podcast uh, know, um, Remembering your mortality, uh, according to the Stoics and certainly according to Chazal, is a big perspective changer, right? Is and and again, I think it's it's unbelievable that the first sentence out of your mouth when you wake up is acknowledging that you're going to die. Okay, and you know, for all the talk that that the Stoics had about like focusing on death and uh, and you know, and the fact that like you're you're you know you're you're a mortal creature and that you're 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 getting closer and closer to death every day. I'm not aware that they had anything equivalent to the practice of saying a bracha where you wake up and you are thanking God for you being an intellect and the fact and, and reminding yourself that you're going to die one day. So if you took this to, to, if you really took this to heart every day, it could really like shape your waking life. Um, furthermore, you are combating the God fantasy still because gods can't die. Okay. And uh, if you view yourself as a God, then, you know, again, this is one of the expressions of the God fantasy is that we view it as though we're going to live forever. Okay. And this is reminding us, no, 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 you will end, you will die one day and, and, and your body will rot and you'll be forgotten and all that other good stuff. Um, then you say, and you will one day take it from me. So that's also referring to the life force, uh, to your vitality. And what is the function of this? So, oops. You're also you're doing the same thing. You're, you're acknowledging your contingent existence and reminding yourself of your immortality. You're combating the God fantasy, but then you're also remember this is now where we start to think about how you're going to use the life in front of you. That you don't know when the asid is. You don't know when the future is. So you're really planting the question in your mind of I am being given this day to live. So and and one day I'm going to die. One day I'm not going to have any more life. So how am I going to use? this life that confronts me after I get out of bed? How am I going to use that in the, in the time that I still have on earth? And again, I, I just don't think that most of us think of the limited amount of time that we have when we wake up in the morning, you know? Um, but this is trying to get us to immediately wake up and realize I have a limited amount of time on this earth. How am I going to use that time? And then guess what the bracha does? It answers the question, okay? Oh, sorry, not yet, not yet. <laughs> I'll answer the question later on. You will return to me in the future, so that we said is talking about both the life force and the telemelukim, because in Tchias Amesim, then you're going to, uh, uh, then we get, we become alive again, but then we become alive so that we can use our telemelukim. So why are we talking about Tchias Amesim here? So number one is, it is basically saying what the, I don't want to call it the reward, because the ultimate reward uh, is, is Olam Haba, but it's saying that if you live your life properly, okay, then you will be granted by Hashem a second opportunity to live an, a life of Telemelokim in the ultimate um, uh, in the ultimate uh, setting, which is Yimosa Mashiach. So you're you're again you're saying that one day I'm going to die, and therefore my life is limited. But if I use my life properly and I am zoche, I merit Trias Mesim, then I will be given another opportunity um, to to truly live a life of Telemelokim. Okay, that's why we're referencing Tchias Mesim here. And what we're also doing is we are contextualizing um, your waking life. I think we think of our waking life as the, the, the journey itself, right? That like you're born, you live and you die, and then that's the end. But in Judaism, we hold that if you are Zohan, so then your death is not the end. 
really your soul goes on into Olam Haba. And then if you're Zohar, then you actually have an opportunity to live a second time. So this waking life that you're in right now is just one stage in the journey of of your soul, where if you live a life that is devoted to being a Tzalem Elohim, then you will you will have an existence beyond your death. So again, this is another difference. Uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm in the mode, I've been in the mode of comparing this to the Stoics a lot. Stoics did not have a concept of Trias Masons. So when they talked about reminding yourself of death, death was the end. For us, death is not necessarily the end. There's 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 existence in Olam Haba, and then if we're if we're Zoha, then there's existence in in uh, Trias Masons in, in Yimosa Mashiach. Okay. Then the natural question is, well, how do we get there? What does it mean to live a good life? So that's when we say, the entire time that the soul is within me, I gratefully acknowledge before you, Hashem, my God. So I thank you. So this is reminding us of the function of our lives is to give hoda'a to Hashem. And hoda'a is the phrase I think that best encompasses our purpose because hoda'a involves two things. It involves a uh, or really three things. It involves a recognition of, it involves knowledge of God, a recognition of what God does. It involves a recognition that that I am the beneficiary of it. And it involves an acting upon that, which is a uh, an expression, you know, and uh, which, which, you know, seeks further knowledge and, uh, and, uh, and is accompanied by feelings of further gratitude. Um, and I'm not the one who says that this is the purpose of life. I think in my last sentence here, I quoted the Ramban at the end of Bo, where the Ramban says the purpose of all the mitzvahs uh, is that we believe in our God, the no de elav shehu barano, barano, that we 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 give hoda'a to God, we thank God that he created us. And then he says, this is the purpose of creation, for we have no other reason for the initial creation. And the exalted God has no desire in the lower beings other than that man may know the yode lelokav shebarao, and gratefully acknowledge that his God created him. And the purpose of the raising of the voices and prayers and the purpose of the synagogues and the merit of public prayer is that people should have a place in which to gather and gratefully acknowledge to God that he created them and gave them existence. That's that we publicize this matter saying before him, we are your creations. So the Ramban very clearly says the purpose of all the mitzvahs, the purpose of the, of, of the creation and the purpose of tefillah and specifically like gathering in, in, in shul and like public tefillah is hoda'a to God, is giving thanks to God that he created us. So that's really what we're, we're, we're reminding ourselves up here is the purpose of our life is hoda'a, is seeking knowledge of God and recognizing uh, that we are the beneficiaries of his, uh, of, of, of his acts of creation. Okay, master of all actions. So why do we conclude by saying master of all actions and Lord of all uh, of, of all souls? So what we're doing is we're acknowledging that Hashem is the cause. Remember, Buddha uh, gave uh, two interpretations, that the actions refer to God's actions, which is reality, and refers to our actions. And I think both are relevant, is we're acknowledging God is the cause of everything in the world, okay, that all of this world that we're waking up and going out into, everything that happens is caused by God, either through Hashgacha Klaus or Hashgacha Pratis. And everything that I'm going to be doing is dependent on God, and God is the master of all of my actions and my abilities. Trace back to to God and are enabled by God. Again, further underscoring my identity as a dependent existence. And then, according to the the uh, Nusach Ashkenaz and the Abu Dirim, we say I don't call Nashamos, which is only here uh, because it is. It's not introducing a new idea. It's just because the penultimate. Uh, it's the penultimate statement in the bracha. It has to match the conclusion of the bracha. And according to the Ramam, we don't even have this. And then we conclude by saying, you Hashem are the source of all blessing who returns souls to dead bodies. What soul is that talking about? That's talking about consciousness. And that's really what I'm calling the, the experiential soul, that you don't perceive yourself 
as, as, you know, uh, as having multiple souls to you, it's just, there's me. And the me is my telemokim, my body, my life, my, my, uh, imagination, my, you know, my, my actions, it's the me. That's what we mean when we say self. So what's the function is to tie all the ideas together and prepare us to face waking life with these ideas in mind. Okay. Now, Last thing I want to do is I, I realize there might be questions. I just want to show you what it looks like to tie this all together. And then I'll answer the questions that we had left over, Ariel's and and, uh, and um, Fishbine's. And then uh, if there are any other questions, then I'll answer them. And then that's the end of this year. Um, so what does it look like to say this bracha in the morning? And I tried to reduce it to one um, one sentence per, or one phrase per line. So you, you start, first thing you do when you wake up is you elokai. You acknowledge Hashem is the source of the power in my life. He's the true force. He's the true reality. Um, he relates to me. Uh, I am not the God. Hashem is the God. Um, and uh, and um, and it is by his Midas Hadin that I uh, am uh, able to, by the laws of nature, right, that I wake up every morning. Okay. Neshama shenasatabi tahorahi, the soul you've given me is pure. That you you think to yourself, I my essence is my non-physical soul, my telemelkim, which is a gift from God. That is who I am. I am not my body. I am a thinking, knowledge-seeking being, and I am a contingent existence that uh, that that was given existence by the truly independent existence. Ata varasa ata yitzarta ata nafachtabi. That's breaking down this statement into into its three um, three uh, components. He created my soul, my Telmokim, out of nothing. That's Bria Yeshme Ayin of Telmokim. Uh, you formed it. That's forming my body for me, for my soul, for for the for the true me. That's recognizing the uniqueness of the body as being a vessel for the Telmokim. And Ata Nafak to be you breathed into me. That's joining my soul to my body and realizing that I am a unique kind of creature on Earth that is some hybrid of telemelokim and animalistic body, uh, of which the telemelokim is the dominant part. Again, all these things underscore the idea that you're a contingent existence who is given existence by God. Then you transition into the second part of the bracha, the atam mishamrah bekirbi. You preserve my life, meaning I am mortal. I will die. It is God who keeps me alive. And as I wake up and set out into my life, I have to realize that my life will come to an end and it is only by God that I'm still alive. But this life that I'm about to live is not the only life. It's, uh, sorry, he will take it from me. He's going to end my life. My time is limited. I better use it well. But it's not my only life. Is You will return to me in the future. Is that God willing, if I'm Zoha, then this will not be the, the only life I have. Is I will have the opportunity to live another life in the ideal time where uh, I will be allowed to engage in my true purpose. And what is that purpose? Is something that I can do now. The entire time that my soul is within me, I gratefully acknowledge before you, my God and the God of my fathers, namely that my life should be devoted to hoda'a, to acknowledging Hashem with gratitude, which means seeking seeking knowledge of Hashem and recognizing that he's the source of all my good and that all the good is in order to seek knowledge of Hashem further. Then I acknowledge as I go into life that Hashem is the master of all actions, meaning all actions in the universe and all of my actions are dependent upon him. And uh, he's the Lord of all souls. He enables me to wake up every day. That's uh, that's talking about the last sentence. And Baruch Hashem, you Hashem are the source of all blessing. And you are the one who restores souls to dead bodies, which is thanking God for restoring your consciousness 
yourself and yourself and your consciousness is the amalgam of all of these things. So in other words, if you thought of yourself exclusively as your body, then that's, that's a, a, a limited perspective. That's, that's not entirely the full truth. If you thought of yourself only as your cell team, that's also not true because you also have a body. You know, if you thought about yourself just as an abstract existence, but you didn't think about how you're going to live your life, you know, as an after upon the world, that would also not be the true, the, the true self. So the bracha is, is piecing together a, the true self, but it's talking about it as one phenomenon because in life, in your experience, in your actions, it's all one one thing. You are going out as a Tselem in a body that will is mortal, that will will make decisions and act upon the world. So it's it's all experienced as one. So um, that I guess is the end of the shear officially. I'll take questions in a second, but I, I just want to remind you one more time that like you know <laughs> this is intended to be. Uh, I obviously intended the shear to be like. Uh, um, going over the ideas in the bracha. But what I really want to illustrate with these here on tefillah is, is how much work you have to do on tefillah and brachos in order to use them as they were designed. I mean, like, you know, it takes practice to wake up in the morning and to say Elokai Neshama thoughtfully and to think about these ideas. But I, I'm telling you, after, after having done this for, I mean, I, I only learned these ideas over the summer, but even before I understood all these ideas, if you really think of Elokai Neshama when you wake up every day, it really changes the way that you go about your day. And I would go so far as to say that, like, my life is more impacted by my re- recitation of Elokai Neshama than it is from the Shema or the Shema Esrei. Now, that's not like I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but I'm saying that in terms of like my my um, what has the greatest impact on the way I relate to myself and my coming day saying Elokai Neshama when I first wake up in the morning has had a tremendous impact on me even before I learned these ideas. And then after I learned these ideas, then, uh, then all the more so. So I, 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 if you don't like any of these ideas, I encourage you like figure out your own functions of each of the lines and your own kavanas to have. And like, this is really the work that we have to do in order to get the most out of our davening and the most out of our, our, out of our brachos, you know, like the, the, uh, the ideas are not going to assemble themselves and they're not going to, you know, uh, they're not going to have, any effect unless you actually like take the time to think about what effect could they have? What effect are they supposed to have? And you map that out on your own. So um, official end of year, but I'll take whatever questions there are. Did you answer my question from before? I wish you was. Uh, yeah. Cause just repeat remind me, which uh, your question was, how are we saying all these things um, uh, and talking about the different elements? Well, how are we reconciling the, the saying, this is the true me with, the, with yeah. treating it as something I, that got so, given it's the true me in the sense that it is the higher part of you, but it, but really all of these are you in the sense that they are all experientially and practically you, like you, you do have all, you do have all the properties of being a thinking being and being an animalistic body and being a, uh, uh, a repository of a biological life force and being a conscious being and being a thinking being and being a, an acting being, you know, um, but, uh, so when I said the true you, I meant like that, which makes you human, the higher part of you, but you know, all these parts are in service of that and they all are part of you. And to answer Ariel's question, Ariel's question was, um, why at the beginning of your morning? So Ariel, I hope this makes it clear about like how saying this is really like this again, this is the first moment you wake up. 
And this is framing who you are, what your relationship to God is, and then what you are going to do with the life that you are waking up into. So this is like, and if you don't do that at the very beginning, you allow these false ideas and false perspectives and distorted like mentalities to fester. Uh, and if you said this like later on, you know, like maybe you're already um, starting out on the wrong, th- you're, you've gotten up on the wrong side of the bed, the metaphysical bed, you know, if you don't say this right when we wake up. Yes. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is again David Fishbein's question, but um, how do you how do you see that the essence is the non-physical soul as opposed to the essence is the sense of self, which has all these various things that are given to it: the intellect, the body, the life force. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm 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 taking the the, the shortcut and just relying on um, on my understanding of the, of the uh, of what little I understand of the Rama when he talks about. Uh, about like the soul, you know, and about how like the, um, how that's what truly makes a person, a human being, a human being. Um, I, I'm not getting that from, from the Abu Dhiram and I'm not getting that from the Bracha. Um, and in fact, in terms of the Bracha, then I think there's no, you're not losing anything if you think of yourself as this unique combination of all these things. Although I do think you have to realize though, that, that, that like the, the purpose of man's life that the Bracha outlines of Hoda'a, that is dependent on Selim Elokim. So like, that's the one thing in the bracha itself that points to the fact that like the part of me that can engage in Hoda'a, um, which is dependent on recognizing, you know, knowledge of God is, um, uh, that's like the, uh, that's the, uh, the important part of, in terms of how you live your life. Yes. Any view on the uh, question that this doesn't have the standard, um, form of a bracha aruka in terms of uh, not being smukha lachavirta? Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. The only, you know, like, like uh, Fishman mentioned, the, 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 the there's machlokas rishonim and, you know, the, there's, there's the idea, <laughs> there is an idea that, um, and I, I always forget which rishonim say this, someone can, can chime in if they know offhand, um, that this is supposed to be a, it is a bracha hasmukha lachavirta hamapil. Okay, that you say hamapiel when you before you go to sleep, and then you say elokai as soon as you wake up. And if you, I have a three part series on hamapiel, and if you listen, if you if you look at hamapiel, the, thematically they pair very well because hamapiel really is acknowledging some of the same themes of mortality, and also framing um, your sleep as a means to avodas Hashem that you're going to do the next day. So. It happens to fit in very nicely that, like, if you take that shita, that it's a brachas mukhalachavrta to hamapiel, then, like, you really are thematically gluing those two brachas together. And then the other opinion is there's another, um, I, and I, again, I forgot which Rishonim say this, that there's another shita that um, that this is a, a birchas hoda'a, and hoda'a does not require um, uh, beginning and ending with with to Hashem. And the, the, the example they give is the, the bracha of hoda'a that said when it rains. Um, the Modi Manakalak al Kotipa Vatipa. Um, and that's the only example they give. I, I don't know, like I I don't know, I haven't defined the Machlokas, but um but those are the three answers. Either that you're supposed to put this after Asher Yatsar, uh, which again I think is a later answer, or that this is smucha to Hamapil, or that this is a Birkas Hoda'a, and therefore it somehow doesn't need um to open with Baruch, but I don't know what the idea is there. Yeah, I mean I would think if it was designed specifically to be smuchalakha to Hamapil. 
then, you know, to your point, maybe that's like a, a point worth uh, expounding on in terms of the very nature of the, the ideas of Elokai Nishama, is that it was, so to speak, given to wake up with these ideas on the back of something tied to that. I mean, I'm not familiar with your shir yeah. you there, but... Yeah, and that's that's essentially what 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 the the um the upshot of the shear was is that you know you're really what you're doing is you're you're we view sleep as the end of our day, um and what the what these brachos do is you are basically bracketing sleep with hamapil on one side and elokai neshama on the other side, and even if you don't see the idea of smuchal chavita, that is how the brachos were set up, and you're framing sleep as like the Ramam says in Hilos Deus. Um, at the end of Perik uh, Gimel, that your sleep can be a Vodos Hashem if you use it, if you go to sleep with the intent that you're going to use it to recharge yourself to be able to seek knowledge of Hashem. And that's what those two brachos do. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, just an observation? Sure. Yeah, well, uh, the way you're explaining to me reminds me of the bracha that you say on uh, on Yom Kippur. Uh, that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, um, that we, everybody, sh- every create creature should know that he was created. Oh right. So yeah. on on Rosh Hashanah, it's a certain theme about Mamla Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and you I, you know we say you can't have that every day, but it's a theme that you focus on around that time. Right. But it seems it seems like, and that's for the for the whole world. Like we, our prayer is for the whole world. So here it seems like a very similar idea that you're working on yourself individually. Right. That's a good point. That is a good point. And, and like many themes in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> in Tfilos, like there are times when the themes take center say, stage and then times when they're incorporated, like, like let's t- that theme is, is, is said in a safer Zmanim way, like how he's mentioning where we focus on it as a major theme once a year. And then it's said in a safer Ava way, it's incorporated in a safer Ava way to our daily practice. Uh, oh, I want to make one point, by the way. Um, that uh, I think this theory fits in very nicely with the fact that the Hamon, like the average Jew, is not aware of all of these nuanced, complicated definitions of nefesh and neshama and ruach and like all these different things. And I think that's by design, okay, in the sense that when Chazal made this bracha and they talked about various aspects of a person, uh, you know, but treated it as talking about one soul, I think that is how the average person uh, thinks of their soul. They just think of the soul as the self. And in fact, like if you're talking to uh, an atheist um, and someone who's like a militant denier of of the notion of a soul, they will say that there is such a thing as the self. And like, even if they want to try to explain it in terms of like, just like, you know, brain activity, they, people talk about a self. And, and I think that that's really what Hazal were going for when they established this bracha to be like, talking about these various aspects of the person, but treating it as one object of like, cause that's just the way that the average person thinks of it is just, I am one thing, you know, that's the me, like you've given this to me and people don't think about it in this, this fancy way, you know? And I think you're not, I think you're not losing, like, in other words, you don't even need to go through, let's say you wanted to give this, uh, this sheer, but you want to skip the entire phrase of like tracing back to the psukim and getting into the soul complications. That's fine. Just talk about like, you know, like uh, what the aspects of your soul are, and it's all there in the bracha. And so actually, just just that last point that you're making there. So yeah. I was I was about to ask before you said it. So like when we circle back to uh, to the Rambam that we started with, yeah, the definition nefesh neshama. 
So I was going to ask, so net, net, so called so what's the shot in the Shema here? Is it the case that he's just, it's the, he holds the brachas using it differently than his strict definition. Is yeah. it correct based on what you're saying here that it's not really any of them per se, it's so to speak, just using the descriptive term Neshama yeah. and Davka, it's not supposed to be any of the strict definitions. Yes. And yeah. Thanks. I meant, oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. I meant to, I meant to revisit that. Yes. That, that it's not being used the way that the Rambam, uh, uh, technically defined it, and and I, I also forgot to mention this. That was actually where my um, where my uh, where the shear started uh, is. I was going over Hilchos Yisodei Torah, and I saw the definition of neshama, and I was like, wait a minute, like the Rambam's Nusach also has Elokai neshama, but this doesn't match it at all. Right. So like, you know, how, what's like, how can you be Rambam? who's so strict with, with terms and like say this every morning, like what's the Ram I'm thinking when he says in Shama, he's not thinking about his own definition. So I, I have no choice, but to say it is being used in this, like, um, what, what's the, there's a fancy term. There's like Omni, um, uh, <laughs> I don't know what, Omni definitional, uh, you know, sense uh, it is being used in an expansive, you know, uh, 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 sense that is not the strict te- technical definition. Right. And, and it seems according to what you're saying, it's Dafka, the bracha is designed to not be doing that. If, and the bracha is designed to, exactly. If, if you're the Rambam and you have these strict definitions, you could have designed a bracha that uses the word neshama and nefesh in a more precise way, but that would seemingly right. defeat the way you're sort of construing the way the person's supposed to experience this bracha. It's not a philosophical treatise. It's an unfolding of his sort of sense of self. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's very, very, I like how you said that, yeah. Um, if anyone does come up with an explanation of Elkai Neshama according to the Rambam's strict definition of Neshama, let me know. Um, like, there's nothing saying, for example, that we have to like reconcile the Rambam and the Abu Dhiram. Like, maybe the Rambam meant, maybe the Rambam held this is just a bracha on like vitality and on living and on life, and like, and that's what the whole thing is about, you know. But uh, um, I just once I got into the Abu Dhiram and I was like thinking about it, then I, I, I certainly for the Abu Dhiram you can't say it. I don't think you can say it's one one definition of soul, but maybe the wrong just holds it's like a bracha on being alive. So, so according to um, our explanation on the, on the Abu Jaham, um, basically, I mean, it, it only makes sense if we say, it, you know, as soon as we wake up, meaning if you just go down to, to shul and you say all kind of Shema, like, yeah, you may have these ideas, but it won't be as, I guess, impactful or yeah, it won't be as impactful. Um, and obviously, you know, the Minhag Ashkenaz is to say them all in a row. Uh, and and you can still get benefit from going over these ideas. I'm just telling you that, like, from my own experience, saying the brachos hashachar as I do the actions is a transformative daily experience. You know, even, like, even when I find that, like, it's very easy to open the sitter and just say all the brachos hashachar with nil kavana. When I have to say this as soon as I wake up, and then I sit up in bed and say another bracha, and then right my eyes and say another bracha, and put my feet on the ground, it, it infuses every step of my coming into consciousness with ideas, and ideas about how I relate to God, and so like, I think you are losing out if you say it the way that Minhag Ashkenaz has it, but again, that's the Minhag, the Minhag changed, like, so, you know, unless you get a psak, unless you're lucky to get a psak like I did, you know, then, um, then, uh, then yeah, then you'll have to just relate to them uh, from the sitter all in a row, you know, and, uh, and, and miss out on the benefit of saying it as soon as you wake up. I mean, look, if you say Modi'ani, you can get certain ideas there also. It's just Modi'ani doesn't say all these ideas. And uh, I don't know if it has the same function. Meaning, yeah, like, you know, um, yeah. like, he may get, I mean, he may have the ideas. Um, however, it won't, I mean, you're lacking the transformative experience. Yeah, I mean, you, you, what I say, here's what I would say is, you know, intellectually, it's all the same ideas. But pairing the intellectual 
like walkthrough of these ideas with the experience of waking up has a psychological impact on you and makes the ideas real to you in a way that you can't just simulate by reading them out of the sitter. Yeah. In my opinion, I think, you know, if you're, <laughs> if there's a certain level where like, you know, where you, you can get it uh, no matter what, like, you know, we don't say, for example, that, um, you know, that Kriya Shema, like, I, whatever, whatever. I mean, you, 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 it, Chazal designed it to be paired with a psychological experience of like going through your day and being a beneficiary of these different activities, you know? Um, and so, so they, they, they clearly thought that like pairing it with the psychological things is, is important. You know, I know, I know you, you said that the, what, from the end of Bo, the, the, that the uh, purpose of all the mitzvos, like that, that line is Hoda. Yeah. I know you said that that's, I guess, probably a whole different shear, but can you, are you able to just give a few sentences on what that means? Like why, why Hoda? Yeah, I mean, my I have a working understanding. I don't have a I haven't looked at the Ramban uh, inside in a while. My working understanding is, um, well, give, give me one second. Well, here's what I can say, and I'll tell you what I can't say. What I can say is that Hoda is more than just Yidiyas Hashem. Hoda is Yidiyas Hashem that moves your emotions. Uh, which is knowledge that's real to you, you know? So it's, in other words, it's not, it wouldn't be correct to just say like, um, like that man's purpose is to know God just with his mind is if that, if that knowledge doesn't culminate in you as a complete organism being moved, you know, by feeling thanks and expressing it, like, like that's how we do stuff psychologically. Like we, we feel and express our thanks. So then the knowledge is lacking. So that's why, like Hoda, I think is better than saying um, Shevach uh, is is the purpose of, of of man. But but look, you're going to find other statements where it says that man, the purpose of um, of man's existence is Shevach. You're going to find other ones where it says it's to it's you know some idea of the halacha bedrachav. Um, uh, in other words, when the Ramban says it's it's Hoda, I don't think he means that to the exclusion of other ways of framing it. Um, I just think that it's a good way to frame it because it involves intellectual recognition that moves your emotions. Thank you. That was excellent. Yeah. Excellent point. Okay. Yeah, I have a whole hey. Mice question. Sure. So you so when you first wake up. Yeah. So the moment you wake up, you're lying down. Yeah. Correct. Right. So, and so that's one question. You so, see, so apparently you're you say it while you're lying down, not when you sit up in bed, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I know there's there's a uh, a lot of halakhic literature on bodily postures when saying the bracha and it's unclear to me what aspects of those were only introduced by the Akronim, but the rambam like and and the and the gemara and the shofan arach don't say to my knowledge they don't say that like you have to be in a certain posture and so there's seemingly nothing wrong with saying it while lying down because especially because it's a separate bracha you say when you sit up that's right, matir right. surin right i know and my and my second question is basically every single morning if not every single morning, mo most mornings, you have to go to the bathroom as soon as you wake up and you're not allowed to, to say a bracha or Hashem's, Hashem's name when you have to go to the bathroom, correct? I mean, that's not, uh, not, I mean, uh, there are definitely Akronim who say that, but that's not, um, I definitely not what the Ramam says. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a, if there's a basis for those Akronim in the Rishonim. Uh, I, I haven't looked at that sugya in a while, but, um, but, yeah, uh, davening you can't say you can't daven without um 
you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, but saying brachos, uh, definitely Ram holds it. That's fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Don't we hold by uh, Krishma that uh, if you say it while you're laying down on your back like that without turning over, it's a uh, it's an affront to Kavod Shemaim? Yeah, but that's Krishma though. That's Kavod Omohu Shemaim, not, not Brachos. I have a different practical question. Yeah. Um, by the way, just to be clear before you ask your practical question, I'm not opposing and I'm not poskening. Um, I'm just answering on a theoretical level. Um, I mean, you can ask it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, for I, I might be totally wrong about this, but um, you need to be um, like atuf when when making a bracha, right? Like you need to have some sort of like head covering. Um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm, so um, uh, if you're saying it right when you wake up. Like I guess, do you like roll over and like like put on like put on like a keeper or something first, or like? Yeah, I think that's right. the easiest solution. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Does anyone know offhand whether the Rambam holds that you have to have your head covered when you say brachos? I'm not talking about adopting. I'm talking about brachos. The Sfaradim hold that way, right? Yeah, I seem to. I seem to. I seem to hold uh, to recall that the Rambam does not hold that you have to have your head covered when you say a bracha, um, but. uh Obviously, we, we don't pass like that, but um, yeah. I was going to say another thing, though, also is, and this kind of addresses what Ariel was asking and, and also what Isaac is asking and also what Dan is asking, which is that, um, when, you know, when when I, again, I, I'm, I'm not passing, but when I got my PSAC about um, that, about the Brachos HaShachar, like, I asked if I should try to say the Brachos HaShachar um, each in their proper places, and the PSAC I received was I should, but then if, if I can't, I should still say the Bracha. And I think with these things, like, let's say you don't say this right when you wake up, saying it a minute after you wake up is still, like, good. Like, it's still fine to do that. And it's better than saying it half an hour after you wake up, better than saying it an hour after you wake up. In other words, the closest you can put it to your uh, tefillah, sorry, to to, to the mechaev, to, to, to waking up, I think the better, or the earliest in the day you could put it, the better, you know? So it's not like an all or nothing deal where you either say it at the instant you wake up or you lose everything, you know? Uh, I think it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the closer you can associate it to waking up, the better. Okay, if there are no more questions, then I guess we can end here for today. Yeah, very nice. All right. Thank you. 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 Thank are matchnaywise at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnaywise at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.